0: I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart.
1: So that is Titus chapter 3, and I'll be starting from verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you
2: all. Let me pray as we begin. Grace be with you all. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace, for your kindness to us in the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that as we look at this passage, um, you would help us to see that more clearly um, and to be devoted to the good works that come from it. Amen. Amen. Well, for most of last year, the number one podcast in the UK was The Diary of a CEO by Stephen Bartlett. It's a pretty interesting podcast, lots of great interviews, and it's not a surprise that so many people enjoy listening. And one of Bartlett's main things is how to make a profit. Um, Recent episodes have been titled like this, The Money Expert, From Zero Dollars to Millions in Two Years Without Any Hard Work. Or The Man That Makes Millionaires, How to Turn $1,000 Into $100 Million Dollars. And millions and millions of people listen to these podcasts every week across the world. And it's pretty clear that we care about making a profit. And that's not hard for us to understand here in a city like London, is it? We're surrounded by companies, by buildings that want to make a profit. Thousands of people will be moving to London over the next month or so to come and make a profit. That might be you here today. And we're so glad you've joined us. We'd love you to make St. Helens your church whilst you're in London. But in general... It's fair to say this city, it is all about making a profit. And in our passage today, as we finish our series in Titus, we're going to see how the church can make a profit. Uh, a prophet. Tim began our series in Titus back in July, you might remember, with an imaginary email from Paul saying, God has told me how to fix the world. Well, this week our email would, would be, God has told me how your church can make a big profit. Paul has sent Titus into Crete to secure a profitable church. Now you'll be glad to know I'm not talking about a church that makes a load of money and this isn't going to be a talk on the three-step guide to turn your church into a global business. I'm talking about a church that lives for Jesus in every area of life. I'm talking about a church that demonstrates the gospel of grace in all that we do. A church that is a shining advert of the grace of God to a watching world. That's what a profitable church looks like. And we've seen over the past um, few months that Crete was not an easy place to build a church. The people were ungodly. It was overrun by false teachers. Titus's task, it was a bit of a mission impossible. But the letter of Titus reminds us that with the gospel of grace, change can happen. A whole church can be transformed by the gospel of grace. And that church can be a vehicle for change, even in a place like Crete. And Paul closes the letter in our passage today by showing Titus how he can keep that going, how he can keep a church devoted to good works. So Paul wants to see the church in Crete make a profit, and here's the blueprint for it. And the instructions for Titus, they aren't just for him, they're just as much for us. Look down at verse 15 again, the end of verse 15, grace be with you all. So we've seen this a few times in the series. This letter, it's it's a letter for the whole church in Crete, for all of them, for you all. And so it's for us today just as much as for leaders of the church. This is a blueprint for us to know what pitfalls to avoid and what goals to pursue. So we're in the business of making a profit. And tonight is our roadmap for the month and the years ahead. But first, there's a big obstacle that we've got to look out for. And we're going to spend a good chunk of time here. Our first point is the obstacle, divisive false teachers. You can see the points on the handout um, if you got that when you walked in. We'll have a look down at verse 9. Um, And let me read for us again. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Well, if Titus is going to secure a profitable church, he needs to avoid divisive false teaching. He needs to avoid getting sucked into the needless debates. This stuff isn't profitable. It doesn't make people godly. It doesn't help a church do good works. It isn't the true gospel. Now, imagine with me uh, that you just started your own business. Uh, You're the CEO of a startup and you get yourself involved in all sorts of legal disputes. You're bickering with your colleagues. You're pernickety about every single detail. Well, you can be sure that this business is not going to succeed. We all know that. And it's the same for Titus. But of course, here, the stakes are much, much higher than a business like that. These Cretan false teachers, uh, they seem to have been obsessed with demonstrating their religious credentials they wanted to prove that they were the truly kosher people so they said you know my family tree goes way back to the heroes of the old testament they wanted to claim that they knew the secret way to get truly holy they knew how to get close to god they were the truly godly people but all this stuff that stuff in verse 9 controversies genealogies dissensions quarrels about the law this moralizing religion as we've called it it distracts people from the true gospel It divides the church. And of course it does. If you want to make it about performance and religious rituals and family trees, then you're going to create all sorts of hierarchies. And that's the fast track to division. And so Titus needs to avoid it. And what's true for Titus is absolutely true for church leaders today. And we want to be clear here. Avoid is not saying church leaders should just ignore false teaching. We're going to see this in a second, but in chapter one, verse 13 Paul said these people need to be rebuked but he is saying church leaders they need to keep a clear distance from this kind of teaching they need to avoid it the whole church needs to avoid it and I think in a church like St Helens where lots of us will have some sort of leadership role in the church whether that's now or in the future could be as a bible study leader could be in Sunday school could be a church elder one day in the future I think we really need to hear this It is not helpful to get into every argument under the sun. It is unprofitable and worthless. The gospel produces a self-control. That's what Paul told us in chapter 2, verse 14, or chapter 2, verse 12. Self-control. And we know that this kind of thing, this kind of division, this kind of argumentative nature, this is often the problem among young men, I think. I know this myself, and it isn't helpful. The stakes are high. We've got the true gospel here. God's trustworthy revelation is true revelation about Christ's gracious salvation we've got the thing that can actually transform people and so we don't want to get in the way of it Paul says avoid divisive false teaching I found the image that Nick used a few weeks ago really helpful false teaching it's a bit like a Venus flytrap it lures people in they don't realize how deadly it is and then bang they're trapped and that's why church leaders people like Titus need to be ready to respond Paul tells Titus not just to avoid divisive false teachers, teachers. he also says there may be a time when discipline is necessary. Or maybe the better word here would be distance. Distance is necessary. Let's look down at verses 10 to 11. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. People don't really like the idea of church discipline or distance like this in society today. People think it's harsh. They think it's cruel. But that's definitely not what this is. Paul's aim here is the repentance and the restoration of the divisive person. That's why there's this three-step process. This person who's twisting the truth, who's causing division, they do need to be dealt with, but with genuine patience and a desire to see them realise the error of their ways. So that's why Paul says, warn them once. And then warn them again. And I don't think that's meant to be a quick process. And it's only then that you would have nothing more to do with him. Each time the aim is to see this person recognize that they've departed from the truth, the true gospel, that they need to come back to it. And if they do that, then they can be sure of complete restoration. That's exactly what God has done for us. We saw that last week. We've been saved despite our disobedience. But because that true gospel matters so much, that amazing grace Sometimes it is necessary to show clearly this person cannot be a part of our church. They cannot teach in our church, and this stuff really matters. Chapter 1, verse 11, whole families are being led astray by this false teaching. This church needs to be protected, and so Titus needs to act. Here is a person persistently, unrepentantly teaching falsehood, false teaching, dividing the church in Crete, and they look exactly like the world around them. They haven't been transformed by the gospel. Paul says, verse 11, such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. And unless this, false, this worldly false teaching is dealt with, at this church, it will just end up looking like the world around us. It will be unprofitable and worthless. And so whether this teaching is inside or outside the church, it really does need to be dealt with. And we've seen this so... Over the last few years here at St. Helens as we've had to respond to the spread of false teaching in the Church of England. Lots of us will know that the Church of England has been running a process called living in love and faith that has involved lots of conversations about the issue of sexuality. Um, I know there there might be some visitors today and I just wanted to touch upon this briefly because it is where we really need to think about this kind of issue today. Uh, God is clear in the Bible that he made sex for marriage between one man and one woman for life. I know for some of us here, this will be a deeply personal issue. And all of us are sexual sinners, people who've not lived up to God's standard. And there's a wonderful truth, the wonderful truth that we've been thinking about all evening, right at the heart of Titus, that we have a gracious saviour. If we trust in Jesus, we know we've been forgiven, accepted by God. We have his spirit in us, enabling us to live for him. But it's because that matters so much that it's right to respond to leaders in the church who teach against what God has revealed to us in his word and it matters so much because it's about godliness it's about the truth it's about God's power to train us to say no to worldly passions and yes to self-control this is the message of Titus and it's so discouraging to see church leaders who say well it's impossible to expect people to live by God's standards today you can't expect that in the modern day or the church they won't reach the young people if we teach what the Bible says." Well, I think we should be so thankful for church leaders, for people like William, for and Aaron who are willing to stand against teaching like this, church leaders who've listened to Titus, who care about our godliness, who want to encourage every single one of us to live for Jesus in every area of life. Remember, our godliness, it is dependent on our teachers. They've been given the job to teach us in sound doctrine, to rebuke those who contradict it, and it's essential that they do. We won't be a profitable church if they don't. So do pray for the leaders of our church. Come along on Wednesday to see George commissioned for ministry here at St. Helens. If our church is going to keep on being a profit-making church, a profitable church, then we need godly Bible teachers, Bible teachers who will stand for the truth, Bible teachers willing to distance themselves from those who won't promote godliness. Well, throughout Titus, we've seen that the church is to be zealous for good works, Paul wants Titus to encourage godly living in every area of life. He wants them to honour God. He wants them to be devoted to good works. And that priority is right here as Paul concludes the letter. And so our second point um, this afternoon is the goal is fruitful good works. The goal is fruitful good works. Um, Let's have a look at verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. What does the fruitful Christian life look like? It looks like Good works. What should Christians in Crete be known for? Good works. What should we be known here in London as Christians? We should be known for good works. And we've seen that those good works is very broad. It's about godly living in the day to day. It's about godly living in every area of our lives, whether at home, whether at work, uh, whether at church, wherever it is. But Paul focuses in on a particular area here at the end of the letter. And I think that is a zeal for mission. Paul wants to see A church that is partnering with gospel workers from across across the globe for the sake of the gospel. And Paul wants Titus to lead the way in this. So there are two ways he wants him to do this. He wants him to exemplify good works and he wants him to encourage good works. So first, exemplify. So in chapter 2, verse 7, Titus was told to be in all respects a model of good works. If the Cretans want to see what godly living looks like, what good works look like, they need to look at Titus. And that's what Paul is getting at in these verses. Let's have a look down at verses 12 to 13. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenas the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Titus was one of Paul's number one missionary workers amongst a big team of missionary workers. And, he, and Paul wants Titus to be on the watch out for this missionary team. He wants him to look after them. And it makes absolutely sense for these guys, Zenos and Apollos, to stop off at Crete on their travels. It's not just a summer beach destination. It was a gateway to Africa. And as Paul works to see the gospel go beyond Israel and into the rest of the world, he wants wants to send off missionaries everywhere. And Crete is a kind of seaside place, a trading center where you can do that from. And we don't know exactly where these guys went off to, but we know they were gospel workers and we, knew, and we know they were doing gospel work. And maybe that was Africa. Maybe it was somewhere else. But Titus is to exemplify good works by giving these guys genuine practical help. He's to feed them. He's to clothe them. He's to send them on their way. He's to encourage them in their missionary work. And it was one of the wonderful things about the early church. It was just this beehive of missionary activity. People going everywhere, traveling across the globe, trying to tell the people that the grace of God has appeared. Salvation is available. You can enjoy eternal life through Jesus. And the church was all working together for this. They cared for each other's needs, a beehive of missionary activity. And so Paul's given Titus this massive task on Crete. He wants to see churches established and strengthened on this pagan island. But also, verse 12, he says, come join me in Nicopolis. So what's that about? Nicopolis was a bit like Crete. It was a beach destination, but also a trading centre. A staging post for the next bit of Paul's missionary work right on the coast of Greece just across from Italy and so it's the ideal place for Paul to spend winter and then head off to spread the gospel further west and he wants Titus to come and join him so Titus is to show the Cretan church gospel priorities he's to set off for fruitful work elsewhere when the time is right he's not putting his feet up on the sun lounger he's a missionary right in the thick of it he's to be an example of godliness. An example of good works and then that example is going to filter out into the life of the rest of the church it's a beehive of missionary activity and so he's to encourage the whole church in similar work have a look again at verse 14 and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful so as we said already these good works they're about godly living in every area of life it's about being a good father a good mother, a good worker, a good citizen. And that's what we saw in chapter two. But a specific element of that is that we're to work together in partnership to get the gospel out. And Titus isn't doing it on his own. This church in Crete is to be there right with him, helping with these cases of urgent needs. Zenos and Apollos, they're going to be stopping off on Crete. So help them out as they go. Make sure they've got what they need. And this is what a fruitful church looks like. It's about each of us living out our faith in our day-to-day lives, but all of us sharing a vision together to reach a world that needs the gospel. A profitable Christian living looks like a beehive of missionary activity. And, and it's a great reminder of us to us of the privilege it is to have mission partners that work throughout the world to reach people with the gospel. Uh, we've prayed for our mission partners already, but we've got the updated um, mission prayer diaries over there by the exit and why not take one when you're going out and commit to pray for one region of the globe over the next month. I was praying for Joelle this month who's exactly like Zenas and Apollos stopping off here in London at the moment to be refreshed before heading back to Cambodia for fruitful gospel work. We want to be a fruitful church here in London and part of that means supporting, partnering and praying for gospel fruit throughout the world and that might mean for ourselves going off speaking the good news about jesus in places far from london or it might just mean small practical help prayer for our mission partners stopping off in london but our vision isn't just for london it's for the gospel all across the globe and a wonderful privilege to be involved in that well a few years back i was driving my car uh, the day before an exam um, and i was i was pretty stressed Um, There was lots of revision to do. I'm sure you can imagine it. And I drove into a petrol station. um, I need to fill up the car. And I picked up the petrol filler. And I remember thinking, this is really hard to get this in here. And I just kind of jammed it in. um, And uh, I filled the tank um, all the way up. um, And I started to drive. And then straight away, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, it was just chug, chug, and the car could barely move. Somehow, I had forced diesel into my petrol car, I then had to spend the next three hours waiting for the AA guy to clear out my whole tank and at 300 pounds down or something like that. Um, unsurprisingly, diesel won't get a petrol car going. And that's what it's like trying to be godly, trying to do good works without grace. It's like putting diesel into your petrol car. It won't go anywhere. Without grace, the Christian life goes nowhere. And Paul is absolutely clear on this. It's the central message of the book, and it's our final point. The engine, or the fuel, is the gospel of grace. Titus is kind of uh, the number one good works letter in the New Testament. Good works come up again and again. We've just seen that, and it might be tempting to start start to think, "Is is this all about human effort? Is this about doing our bit for God so that he'll be happy with us, so that he'll give us the nod of approval? We need to hear clearly the reminder once again that the engine the fuel of everything in the Christian life is the gospel of grace. And that's where Paul ends the letter, end of verse 15, grace be with you all. And I don't think that's just a kind of best regards Alex or best regards Paul kind of thing. Um, When Paul ends this letter with grace, he's reminding us once again what the absolute heart of the letter is, what the absolute heart of the Christian faith is. Paul never got over the amazing grace of God Um, Just have a look at chapter 3, verses 3 to 5 again, that we heard from last week. Let me read chapter 3, verse 3 to 5. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that every single one of us, Paul, right there with you and me, were God's enemies. We were foolish, we were disobedient, we were led astray, and yet God saved us. He gave his only son, the Saviour appeared, and he died on that cross for us, and now we're accepted by God, heirs of eternal life, the goodness and kindness of God in the gospel, is a special, special thing. It might be that you're here today and you've never grasped the grace of God. Uh, You've never seen how incredible this is. Can I just encourage you to to look back over those verses I just read? This is the unique thing about the Christian faith, that you can be accepted by God, not because you've done anything special, but because of his amazing love for us, his grace, his mercy, We can be saved. We can look forward to an eternity with our creator because of this grace. And this is what the false teachers in Crete didn't get. They thought with a bit of religious ritual, a bit of moral effort, a bit of hard work, they could please God. They could finally be godly if they just tried a bit harder. This is what so many religious people think today. But it just misses the point. It's putting diesel into a petrol car. As we close, have a look back at chapter three, verse eight. Paul's just explained that wonderful gospel of grace. And he says, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. It's the key verse in the book. It's the gospel of grace that Paul says needs to be insisted upon. It is the gospel of grace that builds a church of men and women devoted to good works. It is the gospel of grace that produces people who are attractive to the watching world. Grace is magnetic. It pulls people in. It transforms ungodly, disobedient people. People in a place like Crete. People in a place like London. And it's as that grace, God's amazing, undeserved kindness to us, gets into our hearts and gets into our minds it's that which changes us and helps us to be godly it's not not perfect but christians devoted to good works in every area of life the kind of people that stand out the kind of people the world wants to know what what have they got what is that joy that they just seem to have we want to make a profit this year we want to make a profit as a church this year we want to see people changed by the gospel And that begins with each one of us grasping this gospel of grace and living in the light of it. We're going to close there. Let me pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your amazing kindness to us in the gospel, that even though we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, you saved us. Uh, The Saviour appeared. He died on that cross and... Now we can be forgiven, justified, accepted, and we can have the hope of eternal life. And we pray, Lord, that as we grasp that, it would be the engine in our lives for good works, for zeal for good works, for godliness in every area of life. Amen.